my God, is it worth it? Some of the most beautiful people I've ever met. Some of the, the, the most kind people I've ever met traveling and, and also just one of the most stunning continents, like the beauty of that continent. Unrivaled, yeah. You know, that's that's amazing. How amazing to meet people for a couple of weeks and to feel that they've become a little family for a period of time. And then everyone just scarpers and goes off in their own directions. And that's fine too. But no one has ever said to me, oh yeah, I went traveling for six months. It was a waste of time. <laughs> I remember so vividly the moment he said that and all my you know, hairs on my arm stood up on end. And I was like, well, I, I could just carry on. Like, there doesn't have to be a return flight home here. Like, and, and not being emotional about it as much as being like, this is absolutely right for me. I think that's something that all, all those kind of long-term travel people get. It's something we all had. You kind of are ensconced in the family unit as a kid. So it was the, the first time where I saved up money independently right and then and then use that money to go somewhere that wasn't where i lived so it was like a really eye-opening experience not just in terms of the travel but just in terms of a manifestation of my independence welcome to the winging it travel podcast with me james hammond where every monday i'll be joined by guests to talk about their travel stories travel tips backpacking advice and so much more right now I'm taking the podcast on the road traveling with me. So tune in every week for short form episodes detailing all my travels alongside my Monday guest episode. Are you a backpacker, traveler, gap year student, or simply someone who loves to travel? Then this is the podcast for you. This is a casual, informative podcast designed for you to inspire you to travel. There'll be stories to tell, tips to share, and experiences to inspire. Welcome to the show. Let's get into the episode. Hello and welcome to this week's episode where I'm joined by Alan Davies from the Tripology podcast. Alan's been traveling on the road for roughly 10 years, working in traveling, and through their podcast, they hope to encourage people to travel like ourselves, our listeners, and get those backpacking trips you've always wanted booked in. Today, we're going to have a chat about travel, podcasting, how we can help you, building a travel community and more. Alan, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thank you so much for having me, James. It's such a pleasure to connect with you over the internet and discuss all things travel. Yeah, the next step would be in person. That'd be even better. That will be amazing. Yeah, let's make sure that happens in the near future. Let's do it. Yeah, so currently tell the listeners, where are you based right now? Right now, I'm, I'm doing ever such a brief pit stop at my family <laughs> home in Scotland. Um, I'm, I'm here very, very briefly. I intend to, to hit the road again next week. I'm linking up with a travel friend and we're going to go to North Africa together. But right now, I'm in Grey, Scotland. Oh, yeah. Which part of Scotland is that? Uh, not Castle grey, Douglas. Like... So as far south as you can go without hitting England. Got it. OK, fair enough. And Scotland's a beauty in the summer there, isn't it? It is beautiful. And do you know what? Today I've spent the whole day sort of riding an electric bike across the kind of countryside. It is a really beautiful <laughs> place. So Dreamy. Yeah, amazing. I think you can sort of have those travel experiences wherever you are, as long as you have an electric bike and some some road to travel, you can have some cool times. Do you know what? I had an electric bike for the first time as a travel thing in Myanmar, but the roads oh, are right. pretty shit. And um, what I mean by that is they're sandy, you know, um, dirt roads, if you like. And it started raining and I had my girlfriend on the back and I got to this like, sandy part and I went left, right, left, and we stacked it over. <laughs> Um, oh no yeah I fed on our legs I was like oh shit are we injured like the 
the wind, the little mirror on the left hand side was like damaged, and I was like, oh fuck, it's gonna cost me arm and leg. But luckily, we're okay. Here there's, an, there's an absence of sand, but there is a, a like a abundance of potholes, so ah. it's quite good. It was a bit slalom, you know. I was weaving about, sort <laughs> yeah. of um, try, trying to keep safe out there. Oh, nice. That's a great way to travel with electric bikes, isn't it? I think they're quite nippy. Yeah, they're good. I mean, bikes are, are really useful. I'm I'm partial to renting a bicycle or two whilst I'm on the road too. So Nice. Okay, talking about the road, we're going to get stuck into maybe early days first, because um, I'm always keen to understand the traveller on my podcast about how it started, you know, where did your interest come? So first question is going to be, growing up, did you have a trip or were you always introduced into travel? Like where did the sort of wanderlust start to sort of develop in the early years? I was always quite aware of how beautifully in proximity to Europe I was living here, you know? Mm. Like I was always aware that just by taking a trip across the channel, like we had access to all these really diverse cultures. And and that really stuck with me. I have I have um family who are from Poland, so oftentimes we would take little trips over you know on the on the channel tunnel and, and then in a car and go and visit them. So I was always really aware that although my reality I grew up in Manchester was sort of very metropolitan and and devoid of any of the magic of travel um taking those little trips away were were these escapes that were sort of inbuilt I felt very lucky to be from the UK where I had that on my doorstep yeah I think we hear that the most from like American podcasters or travelers right when I speak to them on my podcast I mean they've got the same thing but just different states right but it's not quite the same as different country in their language is it yeah, I mean, states states are really different from one another, as we know, but mm. like not in the same way that, you know, you can have completely different languages, completely different food cultures just by taking, you know, at times a 30-minute drive across the border. So Europe's really unique in that sense, I think. Yeah, it's kind of underrated, but also not appreciated, especially from my perspective when I was younger. Didn't appreciate it, didn't do enough. Like when you look at, EasyJet, £20 to go somewhere. It's ridiculous. Like, why was I not just doing those like weekend trips more and more? And I think when you leave Europe and come back to it, you kind of appreciate it more, I think. I was really lucky in a sense, like both my parents are teachers. So yeah. holidays were like kind of an oh. inbuilt thing was that when I was growing up. I think a lot of it is just work and time and stuff. And if if you're a kid, your, your schedule is entirely bound to your parents, right? <laughs> yes. So... They they had quite a few holidays, so we would try and make an effort to to kind of get out there a little bit. We were big on on weekend trips and things, and that, like you say, is is inexpensive when you when you're in the UK. You can get an EasyJet flight for for twenty pounds. So yeah, yeah, okay. And do you remember like a first early doors like one trip where you loved it that much, and maybe in the back of your mind you're like, oh, I'd like to do that again when I'm older. Like, was there one trip maybe you can remember? It came a little bit later. I think the first. The first trip that really set me about the idea of travel as being something that I wanted to do more and more was the first kind of solo trip I took. Actually, I was like 17 years old and mm-hmm. I'd been saving money. At a, I worked a supermarket job and I, I kind of vaguely knew that I had some family in the US. So I like contacted them on Facebook and I was like trying to figure out if it would be a viable thing that I could spend kind of this money that I'd saved up to go and like stay with them for a while. Yeah. And they were, they were, they were awesome. They said, yeah, come on down. We'll host you (laughs) for a couple of weeks. And I, I went to San Diego to meet them and it was like, it became the trip of a lifetime. They were so accommodating to me. And that kind of set this idea in, in motion that if like, 
if you can figure out a place to stay while you're traveling, then there's like ultimate possibility, especially if you can connect with people who live there and are local. In this case, it was family. Um, but that is an idea that I would explore more in the future. And it definitely sparked this kind of like travel bug. Yeah, I and mean, it's a great point that we'll, we'll come to like the um, sort of backpacking tips and stuff later. But the accommodation cost, if you can alleviate or at least reduce it somehow, that does make your budget go further, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, at 17 years old, I couldn't have taken a trip to San Diego if I didn't have family there. Yeah. Right? So mm. it definitely opened my eyes to what needed to happen in order for me to make that a kind of a lifestyle. But it was it was a really cool trip. I think also it just it was the first time I'd really kind of left home for a little while as well. So it was kind of eye opening from that perspective. You kind of are ensconced in the family unit as a kid. So it was mm. the, the first time where I saved up money independently right and then and then use that money to go somewhere that wasn't where I lived so it was like a really eye-opening experience not just in terms of the travel but just in terms of a manifestation of my independence yeah I mean at 17 I mean fair play I think when I was 17 I was I probably would have saved money to buy some shit really like maybe like music stuff which is fine I guess at the time but having that insight into when you're 17 like oh if I save this and I can do this trip. It's quite unique that because people don't, like you say, they don't really have that early doors because they're just in their environment at home, like the wanderlust or at least the idea to get out there and experience something different is quite challenging at that age. San Diego would have been an awesome trip that early. Yeah, it was really cool. And and like I say, I was from a position of privilege in the sense that my, I had family there, but they like drove me around so I managed to go to a few other states you know we went to Colorado we went to, to oh, Vegas nice. yeah. Vegas was cool because I at the age of 17 believe it or not I had a, a long beard so I was able to sort of <laughs> sneak into some casinos and sip a free beer at the roulette table you know <laughs> I think the beer would be the most difficult part wouldn't it I think it's gambling <laughs> exactly. 18 there and then beer is 21 is that right yeah 21 everything's yeah. 21 but I guess a 17 year old with a long beard yeah you pass for 21 <laughs> allegedly awesome. yeah 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 and San Diego as a place to go did you experience any sort of maybe culture shock or because of the family connection was it a bit easier do you think well, I think that as as Britons, we're like so frequently exposed to US culture, right? Yeah. It's just like, um, I think maybe that's the, the biggest shock I experienced is how television it all was. Like we went to Hollywood, right? And could see mm. the Hollywood sign. And we've all like seen that. That's iconic. We've seen it on the screen before. So it was kind of... I feel like oftentimes the US can feel like you're in a sort of TV show. Yeah. But my family there is Polish. So they're kind of Polish people living in, in the US. So I'm kind of very used to, to that culture from growing up. So it felt quite homely in some ways, but like I'd walked onto a film set. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. California, though. what a dream to start. Yeah, it was cool. And the weather, beautiful. Oh, it's just insane. I think if you're going to go to the States for the first time, you want to leave California last because if you go there first, I'm not saying all the other states are downhill from there, but it's a, it's a great state to start. I've been chasing that sunshine ever since. <laughs> yeah, haven't we all? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I remember the same feelings when I went to Australia for the first time. I was like, the sunshine, we stayed with my friend's family, maybe like similar vibe to yours. A couple of years older though, but nice introduction into another country that's fairly similar, but still a bit different. Certainly, yeah. And because because we're aware of it from culture, like you, you avoid 
having to sort of figure out we all we all know how much a dollar is you know like yeah, you have to do yeah, yeah. complicated currency exchanges or there's no language to learn or anything you know so it's like it at least looks and feels similar to a life that we're used to so it was really yeah it was but there was the perfect introduction to kind of like independent traveling nice and did that spark into a plan to maybe do more trips or was there maybe university next what was the next thing after that university was next but i remember like very much bookmarking travel as something that i was intent on coming back to in the near future you know mm. um I, had, I went to university after that i went to university in leeds <laughs> so the north as well the, the yeah. long arduous journey from manchester to leeds <laughs> yeah that horrendous I, um, no one does yeah <laughs> exactly yeah a, a train ride but <laughs> yeah. i uh, de yeah definitely kind of dogged that page in the book like i'll come back to it did you randomly get any stick in leeds for being from manchester was that a thing not a university because i mean no. it I think, um, well, do you know what? A lot of the, most of the people kind of staying in my halls of residence were from the south of England. So if I got any stick, it was just for being northern rather than yeah, yeah. specifically from Manchester. Yeah. I won't say I'm from the south. I'm from Norwich. I call it east, but yeah. I know most, most of my applications were up north, actually. Yeah. I don't know why we feel compelled to go up there. I think it's just a different feel and vibe, I think. Um, well, it's my philosophy that any travel is better than no travel, even if it's the short journey up north for the for university. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So then during university, did you start to do some trips in between the semesters? That's how it all started, really, is kind of after my first year of university, an old friend from, from high school contacted me and said, I really need to do something this summer. Do you want to do a, a bus tour around Europe? And I was also at like a... And, and, and kind of where I didn't know what I was going to do that summer either. So mm. we, I remember vividly, we spent like £300 on a ticket for this bus tour that was like 12 days long and visited five countries all over Europe. Yeah. And uh, it was with a company called Top Deck. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it was it was like so not similar to what I think of as travel today, but it was full, this bus, of Australian travellers. Yes, the sheer like joy and mirth that I saw them experience for like all being together and and doing what for them was a huge trip right for mm -hmm. us it was a trip that set off from London and was fairly close to home but for them it was this huge adventure and I absolutely loved that trip like I fell in love with everyone on that um on that bus tour and that opened my eyes to the human people side of the experience of travel like this was amazing to spend 12 days with people who I'd never met doing mm. the activity of traveling. Uh, I just, I just realized, well, you know, if I could, if I could spend all my time doing that with like, like-minded people, that is what I would choose to do. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And did you start to hear like stories from those guys about maybe places they've been to and the stuff they got up to as well? Well, they were really young, so okay. like meaning they were they were like kind of in their early twenties as well. So for a lot of them, it was their first time Got out it. of Australia. Mm. I definitely connected with them in the way that they they were people who had an intrinsic curiosity in the rest of the world, right? So in that yeah. sense, we would like share stories of places we wanted to go to, and they told me a lot about Australia. So it cultivated this idea that I definitely wanted to go to Australia. I remember at university, so that would have been the same age as those guys, like, you know, 20, 21. Yeah. We, we lived next door to some Australians. They're on the, the classic work visa, right? <laughs> I used to look at them, and I had been to Australia at that point. I was like, why are you here in London? 
because <laughs> they were struggling. You know, London's expensive, right? So when when they come across here and they don't get as paid as much as what they used to at home for the same job, and the rent is huge and it's just a struggle. I just didn't think they were having that much fun. But then one of them made right. a good point. He said, "Well, we can always go back." I'm like, "Yeah, it's a fair point." <laughs> So that's I mean, I guess yeah. that's always true. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a long fight, but you can always go back. Is their work visa the, the same length as ours? Is that one yeah, year or um, two years? Reciprocal, right? I don't think they have to do farm work, though, which has now been I think it's now been eradicated from what I read the other day. But has it they, really? Yeah, it's been drawn up. I think it's going to be going through this year where you can get three work visas now with no extension based on I can't believe it. my three months at the potato factory were yeah. in vain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, up to 35, I believe, as well. They're going to change the age, but um, we'll see if that... I've still got that takes. in the bank. I've got another year because of the of the potato factory. So it's really? a, sh- oh, it's wow. a shame to hear that it's uh, no longer required. I've got a year, yeah, to get a second one, because I've done the first one without any farm work, right? Um, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a good option. But, but yeah, those guys were saying that, well, we go to Europe, we know London's a bit of a struggle, but the idea is to at least do trips every weekend or time off in Europe because it's so close. So they could go, like, like you say, like a week to do a bus tour or, or whatever. And that was their, their thinking. Absolutely. Well, I mean, that, that kind of came into perspective for me just during this little pit stop I've been back in the, in the UK. I went to, to Sweden last week just on a short oh, yeah. flight. And yeah. the, the distance and time investment and financial investment to go from you know, the UK to any country in Europe it's pretty similar to just like change cities in Canada or drive from one city to another yeah. in Australia. Like it's, yeah. it really is like you can do it for, for a weekend, no problem. So for them, that's a, what an opportunity to be in the UK and, and be able to do that. Yeah. You're absolutely right with that. Especially at Canada as well. Like it's so expensive to travel internally. Oh um, yeah. It's criminal really. And it's expensive to stay in Vancouver and expensive to get out of it. So that's what I've yeah, learned from being here. Flights only pretty much, hey, or, or, or ride shares or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I saw a TikTok the other day about why has the US and Canada not got high-speed rail? Um, it makes things so much easier. And they've done like a comparison chart between China and North America. And when you, when you look at North America's train system, it is shit. I thought public tra- – I, I was living in Alberta in oh, yeah. um, Canada. And I have to say, like, the public transport there was almost non-existent. Like, I had to buy a car for the first time, you know? Yes, I think in Vancouver, it's decent in city. But once you start to get a bit further out, I mean, if you don't have a car, I don't know how you'd do it. <laughs> Impossible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe hitchhike. I don't know. Uh, Always an out, option. Watch out for the bears. But yeah, that's a, <laughs> that's a problem. Okay. So you started to dip around Europe. And then I guess you came to end of university, right? And then a plan was to go off and travel and work and save some money. Was that the next step? Kind of. I mean, I was gearing myself up for a big adventure like for the whole final year of university I became like really discontented with what I was doing at university and just kind of bunkered down to be like as soon as this finishes I'm I'm off I started saving whilst I was still at university I started working in a like a music shop selling guitars oh yeah oh nice I just started squirreling away the pounds like just thinking as soon as this university experience is over like I'm I'm gone yeah I had the same thing, New Year's Day 2011, halfway through my degree exactly. I had two years to go, unfortunately, at that point. Yeah. Um, and I was like, nope, I'm checked out of this already, but I'm going to get it done. And then, yeah, like you say, work, save money, and get that trip done as soon as I finish. And as soon as my graduation was done in November of 2012, I was off 
January 2013. So straight on it. And then yeah, I think, nice. so we had a similar vibe where I became so discontent with my degree. I mean, I, I done music, so I actually played guitar. That's what oh, I did. Amazing. Were you glad that you stuck at it in the end? Because I, I have later come to be glad that I did that. You know, there was there was a crossroads where I could have been like, I'm not enjoying this. I'm going to go just travel now. But I'm, I'm, I've later become glad that I stuck it out, finished it up and then went. Yeah, I think so. Just for the connotation, right? At the time, exactly. I mean, I got a 2-2 two, because two, I literally checked out. I just got through it. Right, um, yeah, yeah. And I think if I got a 2-1, that would have been a tiny bit better. But there's only a grade. I mean, I've never used it, so it doesn't really mean anything. But it actually gave me a chance to also work, you know, penultimate and last year to get my money to go. And that was crucial. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Don't have a plan and you just want to go, but you don't plan to save. And that can get stressful as well because you've, you've got to figure out what to do next, right? Totally. But that feeling of, of not being happy where I'm at and then yeah. sparking a plan, like letting that discontentment grow to in, in quite a proactive way is something that's really stuck with me. I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about it more as the as this podcast goes on. But I think that is like the real seed of travel for me was this feeling of like something is not quite right with the way I'm. Mm living here what can i do about it so yeah i squirreled away a load of money basically and just decided to go for as long as that would last me and i hazarded a guess that the money i could save in my final year would last me about six months mm -hmm. yep i had six months before i had to work again almost exactly the same from what i've saved and you're yeah. right about the whole being discontent i was just people struggle to understand this i was bored i was like i need to get out of here and i need to try something different and yeah, getting on totally. that plane, you know, or bus ride to the airport and then plane was the easiest ride of my life. Like I could not have even thought about not doing it. It was like the totally the right thing as I sort of said goodbye to mum and my sister on the snow. Sort of said, yeah, see you later. Whereas like they're sort of like tearing up a little bit. I was like, yeah, I'll see you. I'm off. Like super excited and super willing to get out there. I love what you said there, James, because I think I mean, anyone who's been been backpacking and been traveling will know that there's like these transient experiences that all travelers have mm. that like we all share in common and they're all the things that mean that we're travelers. And I had such a similar thing where on my very first flight, I felt like I was like waking up somehow, like, yes. geez, like this is what I was meant to do every tributary on the river of life converged at this point and this is now where I'm supposed to be and that experience you describe of, of going to the airport and and not being emotional about it as much as being like this is absolutely right for me I think that's something that all all those kind of long-term travel people get it's something we all had yeah absolutely right I think even the clarity of that time has not even been matched since because I think when you get older you, you think about a few other bits and pieces uh, whether that's relationships or whatever but at that time I think it could not have been a per more perfect time like just the right thing to do decision was totally justified yeah totally I I, I also I, I too think of it as this thing that you know maybe I've only experienced it once and I think about that moment on the flight a lot like there were so many options and possibilities in a life of directions you could go and I think it's yeah. the only time where I've ever been absolutely certain that you know whatever happened over the last kind of 21 years, I was supposed to be here right now. I'm, I'm supposed to be on this plane, you know? Mm. Yeah. And come with that is a plan, obviously, which 
it's very loose. I had a loose plan. I knew six months work for a year in Australia and then do another three or four months, right? Did you uh, stick to that plan? Yeah, I did. Yeah, because I went to the World Cup in Rio. So that was 2014. Right. And the last, the last night out, which I think was the night before I went, my friend said, I'll see you in Rio. And do you know what the, how poignant that is? At that time, that was like right. 18, 19 months away. <laughs> I was like, yeah. yeah, I guess I'll see you in Rio. <laughs> it's a good it's a good phrase for a t-shirt, that. Yeah, yeah, see you in Rio. Yeah, I think we, we did create something for that. And nice. throwing a caveat here, this is before smartphones, right? I don't have a smartphone. So this Amazing. is 2012, right? So I, I, I really had no way of really connecting back in. So in my mind, I was like, well, yeah, I'll, I guess we'll communicate over time, like somehow. But yeah, I'll see you in Rio. I, I, I don't know how or when I'll see you again. And that was just a bit of a poignant moment before I jetted off to Bangkok. That's beautiful because it makes real the concept of the other side of the world, doesn't it? Mm. And and that being so abstracted before you kind of experience what that looks like. Yes. And then in that period of time, I don't know when you experienced this, but the technology got better and more frequent. And I did buy a smartphone. And then the reason I'm bringing this up now is because the friend who said that to me, I'll see you in Rio, we had a date. We're going to meet in Rio. I was like, right, yep, that's the end of my visa. I'll go to Hawaii and I'll come down to Rio. He kept quiet that I think three of my friends were coming, but he slipped up huh. the night before. So the first time I saw him, I saw him in a day. He's like, yeah, we've got three people coming, but they're work friends. I was like, yeah, whatever. And in the conversation just before bed, he slipped up that three of my friends were coming and he couldn't believe it. That was, <laughs> that, that was a year of keeping quiet. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> yeah, and he, he was absolutely devastated, like head and hands. I can't believe what I just said. Um, but oh, and he, the other friends would have been like, they'd yeah. have been excited about him keeping the secret. It's an awful lot of pressure to have a secret. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, amazing. Funny story with that. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to go into your decade of travel. Which did it start then? Would you say? I guess from that. Oh, ab- absolutely, pretty, pretty much. Yeah. So I, I left in twenty fifteen. Yeah, 2015. Okay, so first thing I'm going to ask you about that is we'll dip into the countries that you travel to in a bit. But first of all, the plan, and this is something I do cover a lot because I like to hear people's experiences, is were you going to do a work visa somewhere to compensate for travel, living somewhere different, and then maybe traveling again? Was that your thought process? Not not initially. So Okay. It, it was a, it was something that I was completely unaware of when I set off. So I should say I, I had an idea that my money would last vaguely six months, but my yeah. only plan was to fly to China and teach a bit of English in China. Yeah. So I had no idea really about about backpacking or, or oh, what okay. I was going to do for the next year. I just booked that flight and then taught a bit of English in China, backpacked around China. And then it was only in Vietnam that I, I met a more experienced traveler who kind of imparted this knowledge to me, like a, a wise sage and said, you know, you can, you, can, you can go to Australia and work there for some money. And I remember so vividly the moment he said that and all my you know, hairs on my arm stood up on end. And I was like, well, I, I could just carry on. Like, there doesn't have to be a return flight home yeah. here. Like, yeah. It was a mind-blowing experience. I was like, but surely I have to go home to organize my Australian visa. And he was like, no, you can do it on the internet. Like, we have a computer. Yeah. <laughs> wow. It's <laughs> an interesting one. that you. So you learn on the road, which proves, again, why traveling is great, because you hear all these 
different types of like snippets of information or advice. That's awesome. It was a completely off the cuff adaptation. Like I really yeah. thought it was going to be maybe six months, maybe a little bit longer, and then like I wouldn't have any money, so I'd have to come home. So it, yeah, it was a it was an off the cuff adaptation, but one that I kind of have been running with ever since. Wow. Do you still speak to that guy who told you? I do. Yeah, I regard him as kind of like the person that took me under his wing and we traveled together around Vietnam for about a, a month yeah he's like a really special figure in kind of my travel lineage you know and I, I hope <laughs> that I've gone on to be that person for other people you know oh that's awesome that connection that's brilliant because you, you can't get it anywhere else can you I just you know I wouldn't have met him yeah exactly yeah yeah so I, I think sometimes the, all you have to do to be a good traveller is just to make the initial step and, and get on the road. Because I didn't know what I was doing. Mm. I had no idea about long-term travel, but I just put myself in the space where I had the opportunity to talk to someone who, who had had more travel experiences. And the only place I could have done that is just, you know, good things happen when you leave your house. Yeah, I just, I just became something as a result of the information that I was provided with in the context that I was provided with it in. That's a great point about just like going, just getting it done, get on the road. Because my, my story is slightly different. I booked my six months loosely with SCA Travel. I'm sure you're aware of oh, yeah. those guys who don't, who don't exist anymore. So um, they're not. That was something I looked at when I first started, actually, was maybe booking with them. How was it? Yeah, they sort of done the round the world ticket and they advised... Uh, not on the Asia portion, they said, "Oh, just, just, you know, just go and do it." I was like, "Okay, fair enough." And they, but they booked us the Kiwi Experience in New Zealand, and then the Greyhound bus in Australia. So they booked a few things for us, right? Yeah. But the point I'm making here is that I went to like this STA little talk, really, where the guys who worked there would tell you about what you can do in Australia, what you can do in Asia, and stuff. And then this talk was, I'd say, maybe twenty people in total, right? That are there listen to this including me and I started to make connections there I thought, oh great this is like like-minded people but the point here is all those people that I met then didn't go <laughs> and wow it's just like there's a big difference and I think you might find us traveling or even doing a podcast where or even your friends that maybe say oh yeah I want to do that or I'd like to do it but they just don't quite make the leap and that's a big difference because those people that I thought were going to be like travel friends if you like were never travel friends and then you go on the road and meet actual travel people and that's mm. a huge difference yeah it's so common right um i think you all have heard this so many times as someone who i'm sure like everyone in your life regards you as like the travel guy so I, i'm sure people say to you all the time like oh i'm gonna do a trip like that i'm gonna do a trip like mm. this it's something that we hear all the time but you know the only thing that can stop you traveling ultimately is is by not just booking the first step yeah and i think that sometimes it's like paralysis of of over planning like the only reason i was able to to carry on traveling is because i was completely unencumbered by any additional plans right mm. so mm. when an adaptation was offered to me i was able to take it yeah and i think sometimes you can you can put your budget on an excel spreadsheet or you can you know buy all your flights incrementally but all those things are doing are like they're they're providing like self-limited kind of junctions in your trip that you have mm. to abide by 
So my recommendation to people really would be just to figure out how and where you're going to go. And, and if it's safe to do so, just do it and everything else will be okay. Yeah, absolutely agree. And even right now, when we go back to UK next week and then off on our travels in a few weeks, I've got a few people asking, you know, what are you here in this place at this time? I'm like, I don't really know. <laughs> I'm trying, I'm a bit of a, this is a weird thing I have. I love planning and booking because I'm addicted to the whole, the whole process of it. But I'm mm. telling myself not to do that because I also like winging it, hence the name of the podcast. So I have this weird <laughs> conflict when I'm looking at trips. I'm like, well, we could just like do here, do here, that date, that date. But I'm like, no, James, you've got to go to one place first, Paris, and then wing it and just see where you want to go. Well, I think that booking and planning can be just a like an expression of your excitement, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, it's important. If booking and planning is something that allows you to, to get excited about something you're doing in the future, then do it. Being exciting is good. But I think as long as you're not nailing down things so that you do have the opportunity to wing it, um, that's an important thing as well. Like the the best travellers, the only thing that they have organised is their backpack, you know? Yes, absolutely. Yes, that's so a very key point and one I agree with that they just get to one place and then whatever happens, happens, right? They, For sure. Yeah. And the adaptability that you said, key as well. If you can be adaptable and spontaneous in your travel, that makes the things that you just can't even foresee right now. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You never know who you're going to meet tomorrow when you're on the road backpacking, right? And to be able to have the freedom the amount of times I've had a loose idea of a cardinal direction that I'm going to head and mm. I meet someone amazing over breakfast in a hostel and I go, well, do you know what? Like, how important is my vague sense of direction? What's more important is I, like, hang out with this person. They seem amazing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the people aspect, right, as well. 100%. Okay, so we're going to do maybe some dipping in some countries. These are totally your choice. Okay. Um, that I want to hear about on that sort of like maybe the first trip or even trips after that is there one country we can start with where you would like to talk about that you've been on your travels the last 10 years where you feel like you want to share a few experiences and maybe inspire people to go there oh yeah I mean the last kind of leg of of my big non-stop never went home four-year trip was to South America Mm -hmm. and I think that whole continent was was really beautiful for a number of reasons and i think maybe the the thing that stick the country that sticks out is maybe bolivia so we can talk a little bit about bolivia oh, that's my favorite yeah, yeah. that's your favorite yeah, has it come America. up a lot on this podcast i can pick another one if so only by me um so no, okay. no you, you can talk about what you've done there because i i've actually felt like i've not had a conversation about it i've just told people about it so i like to have a conversation about that that'd be great perfect let's do that yeah I mean, it was the first continent that I've traveled to where English isn't the primary language of the travel industry in general, right? Mm-hmm. So, which is interesting. You know, in Asia, it's very easy to travel just with English and not many other travelers will know the native language of the countries there. And the same with, with backpacking around Africa. But in South America, that's the first culture shock that you have to contend with is, you know, it's everything's in Spanish. <laughs> yeah. And they also don't really have any English, <laughs> like in terms of the right. local people, a few bits and pieces. But yeah, that's the first thing I found in Bolivia was the first place I had to learn a few phrases. 
Yeah, I mean, learning, knowing Spanish in Bolivia opens up a lot of doors travel-wise. So uh, my Spanish is really poor, but my Spanish <laughs> understanding now has, has got a lot better. So it was a different type of travel from that perspective, for sure. And where did you start in Bolivia? Did you start in the salt flats? Yeah, so this is another reason why the country sticks out in, in my mind when, when you asked me where to mention, because the, the way I arrived into Bolivia, for me, completely summarizes what I love the most about travel. Mm-hmm. I was in the um, Atacama Desert in, in the north of Chile, oh, yeah. right? In San Pedro? And, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I got on a bus from, from the Atacama Desert that was, was going to uh, take me to a uni my contact lens fell out on that bus ride. Okay. So that's just like a, a minor travel problem, right? It's an inconvenience <laughs> at best. Yeah. So when we arrived, I looked over, looked around the bus with sort of blurry vision and noted a traveller to my right, someone who was clearly, you know, he was an American guy or a Canadian guy, a couple of them. And I just said to them, like, hey, you guys traveling here? Listen, my contact lens has, has fallen out while I was asleep. Can I just, like, follow you guys to the to the next <laughs> hostel? And they were like, yeah, sure, man. You know, it was a couple, it was a Canadian guy and an American guy. And we ended up traveling together for a few weeks and becoming amazing friends. Like, I mm. love those guys to this day. And the serendipity of just, like, if I hadn't got on that bus at that specific time, if I hadn't encountered that small problem with the contact lens and I hadn't like, you know, just thought to look around and ask someone for help, I'd have never met those people. And they ended up being, you know, my experience in Bolivia was like utterly defined by my relationship with them. So it just speaks to the the beautiful serendipity of travel. Like if you put yourself out there and you're you roll with the punches and you're in the right place at the right time. Like you will meet really cool people. It's absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. I've done a similar tour from San Pedro on a on a Jeep via the salt flats, do the border crossing and then you go to the next hostel in a uni. And those guys were Australian and we had such a good fun, like three or four days. And Amazing. I still keep in contact now. Like they they just made that whole portion of Bolivia just awesome and yeah you're right you just get thrown together in a, in a jeep and you make friends and then it's just like you have experiences that that's totally great yeah those those salt flats in a uni by the way like maybe one of the most beautiful places i've ever traveled and it was one of the few places that i'd like seen a picture yes when i was young i you know and i kind of put it on a bucket list of things i really want to see so it blew me away but then still that that experience much like you on on the jeep is kind of defined by the people i was there with yeah the the salt flats though the vastness so of it i could i could not believe really what i was seeing i was in the dry season so no mirror it was just like purely dry okay it's... i was in the wet season oh, okay cool i, I want to go back in the wet season and see that right um... i want to go back in the dry season <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, no, yeah, yeah, what an incredible yeah. place. What an incredible place. Yeah. And it's also quite high altitude, I remember, and staying at those camps in, in the salt flats were quite well, dry season's cold, right? So it's bloody cold up there. I'm not sure how bad it was for you, but we're Did you get like... altitude sickness? No. So that's a good point. We did meet a few people who quickly had to go back. Oh wow. Uh, there, there's like three or four Jeeps and you get your own Jeep with your you know, seven or eight people in it. I think a few people in the other Jeeps had to go back. And I luckily have never suffered from it. 
Um, I think Inca Trail was quite high up in the second day. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I've never experienced it. Have you experienced it? I got a little bit of a headache, but not too much. I, I hiked Salcante and, and that was oh, yeah. uh, maybe a, a little bit worse. But you have to chew coca leaves as you're, as you're kind of yes. walking up there to kind of help combat it. So nothing too major, but I know people who certainly did. Yeah, it's definitely a high altitude spot. Yeah, the funny story I remember very clearly is we were at this like camp where you stay, right? All the jeeps are there, freezing cold. I'm talking like you've got layers on, you're sitting by the fire. And this, these two Irish guys like turn up to our little campfire bit in the uh, sort of accommodation and said, oh, is there a bar around here? We're like, a bar? Mate, I'm trying to survive here. And they're, like, yeah, they're looking for a bar to have a few beers. I can't believe what I was Some... seeing. <laughs> Some people, I mean, if... <laughs> All they need is a bar, and it feels just like home, though, hey? I just can't believe it, yeah. And actually, another story about Irish people on the Inga Trail, some people, so you carry your backpack, don't you? And then some people just fill their backpacks up with beer and spirits. I was like, oh, fair enough, don't don't take the essentials, just take the alcohol. They are, <laughs> they are Irish as well. I was like, okay. That's got to feel like a mistake <laughs> when you're, like, yeah. summiting the mountain, like, everything's... <laughs> it's it's got to feel like, you know, maybe if I just took one less whiskey be somewhat easier but it kind of plays into your uh thoughts there about just these random people you meet on these tours just like these little snippets of stories i'll never see those guys again i didn't know what those guys names were i just met them for 10 minutes had a laugh at what they're asking probably asked what their name was a bit of a story and then that was it they're off it's just those little snippets and travel that it's a weird one that they're they're magic but they're also a bit sad as well you're like oh I don't get to know those guys and you know where they now and what they're getting up to but so i mean that that can go in different directions so so one of the people that i met on that on that bus i i've since like went on to live in his he, he lives in an rv and i lived in his rv and we went to mexico together just recently like yeah we we stayed in touch but there's some of these connections are, are fleeting and you kind of yes experience them and then lament them and then other experiences you it really you can do whatever you like in these scenarios right the the internet has made connecting a lot easier and a lot more permanent if you want it to be and a lot easier so yeah that was back in 2014 so that was starting to come really into the fore but yeah remember those guys make me laugh and also in bolivia did you go to here's a here's a place i've not met anyone Mm. i've apart from those guys i've traveled with on the podcast especially <laughs> did you go to Potosi? i didn't go to Potosi. right we went there because like oh it's like one of the highest cities in the world let's go experience right, it right 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 yeah yeah and i went there and with those australian guys and we had a few nights out there but nights out altitude that's a bit of an interesting dynamic does it affect your uh <laughs> very <alcohol> quickly intake? <laughs> yeah. really yeah quite quickly yeah um i think it's oh, one, of the, one of the australian guys birthdays so they they plan something and barely remember anything from it but just walking uphill to the bar is a, is a tough challenge <laughs> yeah i bet i bet well that's the beautiful thing as well it, it just goes to show that you can never holistically experience a country right there's places you know in yes. every country that i've explored there's places that give me a reason to go back to finish on bolivia where did you go in bolivia in terms of uh, places that, to go and see so I, I kind of explored up north from, from a uni in the Salt Flats and then hung out in Paz for a while. But I eventually took a trip to the Bolivian Amazon in okay. uh, Ruranabaque, and I ended up living there for a couple of months working at a wildlife rehabilitation centre. It was like one of the most beautiful, purpose-filled times of my life. I absolutely loved it. 
God, what an experience that is that like living in the forest just helping those guys out and yeah in the in the thick of the jungle yeah work for accommodation and uh, you know I, I found that experience on on a platform called work away where you can find a lot of people yeah. posting jobs but i went there and lived there and and kind of cared for these animals and was part of a program trying to rehabilitate capuchin monkeys to back to the wild and it was maybe the time of my life where I've, I've most paused and thought I'm doing something good here like and mm. I'm I'm living in nature with like-minded people all really like hardcore travelers to have made it out there to the to the Bolivian Amazon and it just felt like this beautiful beautiful time I'm so glad that I did it and it sparked off a, a, an interest in wildlife rehabilitation. Like I'm going to do some more of that in the near future. So it was, it was amazing. I had some crazy experiences there. I was stung by a bullet ant. I oh. was like working with a baby ocelot. It was a crazy time. And did you do that with a group of people that were also volunteers as well? Yeah, there's volunteers there. I, I was on my own. I, I went there, but obviously there were, there were people who were there before me and people who came as I was there. And there's, that's a work environment where you make such close bonds with everyone right you're all pitching yeah. together and working long hours to, to make it all happen so yeah i met some people there as well who i'll be friends with for for life that's awesome you mentioned a good point there about the reflection period of having oh, okay i'm doing something great i think because i went for two years right including the work visa i think the the inca trail if you like i did travel after that but my friend went home um, quite quickly he had to go home I was traveling at the time. Well, we got to like day two, you, you do like Dead Woman's Pass. I think when I got to that high point and I sort of looked back, I was like, that's the first time I actually reflected on the whole trip from when I left mm. Norwich in 2013, January to late July, 2014. And you just get those moments where you're like, I've done a lot here, haven't I? Like last year and a half. Sometimes you just go, go, go. You're doing stuff, you're working, you're doing these experiences. It's quite rare you sit back and go, oh, wow, yeah, I've actually done a decent amount of stuff. Time to reflect. It's so important, James, to take those snapshots while you're still there as well, I think. Like to yeah. give your mind a little moment to to hit print screen, you know, and just yes. be like, oh wow, I'm 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 here, I'm actually experiencing, I'm living it. I think a lot of people like the post-travel blues are, are a real thing where people yeah, like yeah. get home and then pause and think about everything they've done. And they're like, geez, like it's, this is impossible to process. Like everything I've done in this period of time and then I've come home and no one understands and, yes. and yeah. I can't talk to anyone about it. And it's all crazy and wild. And no one's seen what I've seen. But if you, um, if you take a moment while you're there, while you're at the top of that mountain or in the jungle, just to think, you know what? Like this is something to be, to be really grateful for and proud mm. of and, and and happy that I had the opportunity to do. I think um, it makes the whole thing easier to process for sure. Yeah, 100%. A previous guest of mine, Dave Seminara, who wrote the book, Mad Travellers. I think if you read that book, it's a great travel book to read. If you're into your books, he wrote a section there about people who have the post-travel blues. And that could be anything ranging from a weekend trip to two years on the road, whatever it is. And he gives some examples, interviews some people about it. And yeah, some people look really extreme. They like in bed for a week, can't get out. Like almost like a mini wow. depression, right? Just like reflecting what they've done and they're kind of back to real life. It can affect people pretty badly. I think Is that I'm, something that you've experienced? I think after big trips, yeah. Do you know what? The, that two-year trip, you've you, you done your four years. You said that at the end of that. Mm. I've done two. When I came back, you know, you get 
that weird excitement going back because you want to tell your friends and family about what you've done and what you've been up to. Then you start to realize they don't, they don't get it. They don't even care to an extent. That is a tough pill to swallow. I think. That's an interesting phenomenon that you mentioned there. And I think it's something that people who've been away for, it's another one of those universal traveler experiences that people who've been away for a really long time have to contend with is like, there's, there's very linear questions that get posed to a traveler who comes back after a long time. And it's usually like, you know, what was your favorite country? Yeah. And uh, you know, how was it? <laughs> and that, that's how was it is an impossible question to answer yeah. after yeah. after being away for years right doing something <laughs> so it's um you know how do you answer that how do you answer how I... was it it was it was everything to me <laughs> it was like yeah I, I, it was certainly something I experienced like it, I was away for four years and w- without coming home at all and I surprised oh, wow. my yeah family coming home which is an experience I'll remember for the rest of my life like my, yeah. my mom opening the door and seeing oh me. wow yeah but I felt very very quickly you know after after the initial beauty of family and being home becomes normal as it does very quickly mm. it was time for me to go again you know I think that's because I, I realized that nothing meant as much to me as travel did anymore Yep, huge point. When I went back, if I'm honest, I thought I was done. I thought, yep, I've done my two-year trip. That's a great trip. Mm. I'll go back to Norwich. I'll walk around the city centre that that I think I've missed for like the last two years. And what happened with me is, this is like a slightly funny anecdote. I got back, so I got back into Norwich, saw some family. Yeah, how was it? The classic question, like you mentioned. I walked around the city the next day. I went for a coffee to reflect, basically. I was like, fuck, I don't actually need to be here. And I walked into STA Travel again. And as I walked in, um, someone took a photograph of me, sent it to my mate. And he put the caption like, I've just seen your mate who's been away for two years go into STA Travel the day he's come back. <laughs> and I got shared around like my friends are like, you've been back five minutes and you're already looking at the next trip. So Spotted. I think that, sum, that sums up, yeah, like what you said, like you just, you kind of realize, oh yeah, maybe real, like normal real life is not for me. Maybe I just need to be on the road again. That's quite an interesting thought. Well, I mean, that becomes your normal everyday life. Like if, if you're talking about two, two years away or however long, you know, at some point that becomes normal. Yes. And you, and you yeah. end up kind of absorbing into your personality a normal, which for you is superior than what your normal used to be. <laughs> so, so then when you return to your previous normality, you're like, well, you know, why? Why would I settle for this anymore? Because my mind's been opened to this possibility. And that was something that I really, really fought and struggled with. Like, I never intended to be home for for that long. Mm. But even the, the time that I was home after that four years, I was like, well, in many ways, I figured out the cheat codes to my existence, to the game that I'm playing inside my own mind, right? It's like, I figured out that for me, travel makes me happy. It makes yes. me a better person. I enjoy it. And that, and that was the life I was living. That was my, my normality. So why go back to anything else? I can do it. Like, I know I can do it. I've proven to myself that it's possible to do and carry on doing and, and do perpetually. So at that point, I had no excuse not to. Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's hard for people to understand that because they're just used to, I call it the social norm, like just the whole classic nine to five, get a job get a house that sort of thing which is fine in its own right and if you like to do that that's great but for some people that is not what 
they want to do yeah well i mean it's also important to say that there's there's like everyone has their own cheat codes for whatever game they're playing and if the thing that makes you the happiest is you know having a beautiful family or you know having a house that you really care for or mm. you know w- whatever it is a hundred percent like yeah. do that then that's mm. that's amazing and, and there's no uh there's no reason why those people should abandon the thing that makes them the most happy to go traveling but you know i'm of the opinion if you're maybe not doing the thing that's making you happiest right yes. now or you like both me and you did are feeling a little bit discontented with where you're at travel is the medium by which you'll you'll be able to try the largest breadth of different things like travel is is maybe the most diverse hobby that you could engage in right <laughs> you'll be exposed to all sorts of different people all sorts of different cultures all sorts of different activities and it might just be that travel becomes the the thing in and of itself that that makes you the happiest who knows as long as the person who's listening now is doing something that they genuinely enjoy and that doesn't have to be travel that's the main thing right if you're not Absolutely. pursuing your genuine interest then that's a problem and you've got to really figure that out and i would say yeah. as you said travel is a great little stopgap if you've got the means to do it where you hate your job or you just don't want to be in the same routine but you need time to figure something out just just take two or three months off just go and travel decompress go and read go and eat some great food and i don't know south america go and drink coffee in paris whatever you need to do to reflect on what you want to do in the future then there's nothing wrong with that and you never know you might go travel for two months and you might think oh maybe this is the lifestyle i want it's worth a go yeah well what it never is is a waste of time right yeah it, like, there's no downside to it is there well I've, I've heard people even like you know occasionally people might have a bad trip or they don't enjoy traveling but what it never is is a waste of time yes like yeah you'll always learn something you'll always meet someone you'll always be <laughs> exposed to something that you weren't exposed to like i've i've heard people who have you know lost their luggage or people who ran out of money or people that all manner of different things happened to but no one has ever said to me oh yeah i went traveling for months. it was a waste of time <laughs> you either learn something about yourself or you learn something about traveling right uh, new cultures and stuff you can't absolutely you can't not win i don't think yeah it's nothing if not just worthwhile you know yeah we're going to get some backpacking tips from you in a bit but first of all, I would like another country maybe in South America that you loved. It's going to be Argentina then. Okay. Have you been to Argentina? I have been to Salta randomly. That's it. Okay. And Aguazo. Aguazo okay, Falls. nice. So Argent- Argentina was the, the country that started off my South American adventure. So I'd just done a year working holiday visa in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And I went to Argentina with the intention to use it as a gateway, both to Antarctica and then the rest of South America. Right. One of which I succeeded at, the other which <laughs> I failed tragically. <laughs> so, so it was like my, my original aim when, when traveling was to visit all seven continents in kind of one big adventure. And Antarctica was like the last, um, the last part of that. So I, yeah. I spent, there's a city called Ushuaia down at the very, very bottom of Argentina. And I spent what can only be described as an inordinate amount of time in Ushuaia, knocking on ships' doors in, at seven in the morning, being like, couldn't anyone take me to Antarctica? It was ridiculous. <laughs> And when you say fail, did you manage to get on a ship or you just couldn't get on one ship at all? 
I got on a ship just to have a brief chat with some of the captains, but no one took me to Antarctica. <laughs> I was able to kind of have conversations about Antarctica with various people, but ultimately I was always beaten out by someone who wanted to go to Antarctica who was actually useful, like a scientist or a sailor. <laughs> I was going to ask what was the reason for no? Is it because you didn't benefit them at all? Well, this is the thing. So I, about one person every season gets picked up by a ship just to, to, to go from, you know, just as a favour of a captain. But most of the time you're getting to Antarctica, you have to charter and it's a very, yeah. very expensive thing. So it was just, it was one of those things that I went rather naively and just thought I could use charm to, to, to get on one <laughs> of those boats. And I was, I realised that wasn't possible. So it was a, it was a lesson in adaptation, but <laughs> funnily enough, that experience isn't the reason why Argentina was so, was so magical. I suppose, the, the biggest reason I love Argentina it will always have a special place in my heart is, is again, just a very human experience. And it was uh, in a town called Bariloche. Okay. And it was maybe a, a couple of weeks after arriving there. And it was the first time, I think, where I felt like an experienced traveller. It was the last leg of my journey after the end of this four years. Yeah. And we it was a busy hostel and... I just remember being really social and kind of gathering a group of people around a couple of Australians, a girl from Honduras, a guy from Israel, and just like kind of galvanizing this group and saying like, hey, does anyone want to go hiking and sort of building this little team of, of travelers? And it all happened really naturally. And mm. that was a really eye-opening thing to me. I've always been parts of those groups forming, but I don't think I've ever kind of sort one out in the way that I felt I was that day and it was it was like okay it was the first time I maybe felt like uh I was the figure that had introduced me to travel that that I talked about in Vietnam yes. you know yeah, yeah yeah that only comes with experience right and maybe a bit of confidence in what you've kind of like maybe arranged before or what you've seen in different countries 100% and it was really special we ended up traveling together for a little while that group and and over Christmas as well. And this is another thing that maybe you can empathize with. If you if you if you travel over the, the Christmas period, there's a there's a kind of closeness that people in hostels have at that time because everyone's away from their family and everyone's yeah. kind of so so we all hiked up a, a mountain for Christmas. We spent Christmas Eve on the side of this mountain in, in off off of Bariloche and, and we all kind of shared stories and had a little Christmas dinner together in this tent. And it was just I remember it's been such a beautiful time of like, okay, well this is like uh, a little makeshift family that's just together for a couple of weeks. And, you know, that's that's amazing. How amazing to meet people for a couple of weeks mm. and to feel that they've become a little family for a period of time. And then everyone just scarpers and goes off in their own directions. And that's fine too. But travel's about those moments. It's about being in that tent on the side of the mountain, looking around and thinking like, for tonight, this is my family. Yeah, that's what travel's about, isn't it? Those little uh, brief connections. I think I mentioned that earlier in the podcast about, like you say, two weeks and then they skittle off into, if they're going somewhere else next or back to real life, you know? This is the, that little stopgap in time where you, you kind of have a joint connection for a joint adventure, which is unique to only those people at that time for that place like that will never be recreated by anyone because it's obviously unique people but by even your own experiences you'll obviously meet different people in different places a different experience so yeah, they are so strong those connections I, I even remember me and my friend in Southeast Asia we traveled with there's a group of us about five or six actually for about four or five weeks and like you say you, you go through Vietnam Laos and Thailand and they, then then they skittle off and then randomly 
don't know why these stories keep coming up today. I was in Rio, the World Cup, right? Year after, I went to Rio. Mm-hmm. I was laying on the beach and I was reading a book on Copacabana Beach and sun was out. I was just laying there and this ball hits me in the face. I'm like, oh, fuck's sake, like, who's kicked the ball in the face? <laughs> and I turned around and it's the guy, I knew he was in Rio, but I didn't know where he was. And this guy who I traveled with in Southeast Asia for five weeks, he just kicked the ball at me. He said, sorry, he didn't realize who I was. And we just like ran together, like, you know, like a film scene when he slowly run together and hug each other. It was like one of those moments. Yeah. Oh, so the, the ball hitting you was completely coincidental. Yeah, it's a shit shot that he had, yeah. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I, just, yeah. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. That was a, a real strange moment. There you go. There it you was go, destined. Yeah. The trajectory of the ball was predetermined. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what a moment. Okay, so Argentina's there. I'm going to ask one more country, maybe not South America, that you'd like to talk about, and then we'll going to some backpacking tips and tricks and what you can advise people. Let's talk a little bit about Kenya, I think. Let's do it. Africa was a very different continent for me. It was the second continent that I kind of incorporated into this big trip, or the third, actually, because I worked in Australia. So, Mm. you know, Southeast Asia is is one thing and it's very easy to travel around. Africa is really hard to travel around in in some sense. And, And Kenya was the first country in kind of Africa proper that I traveled to. I, I flew to Kenya from from Egypt, so out of North Africa and into yeah. East Africa. And the first thing I did was, again, a work away. And I think if I look back on all the, the travel, the workaways are the things that stick out and I remember the most, partly because they're the longest single experiences, but yeah. Also, because again, it's that thing I was talking about. It's that purpose and that kind of feeling like you're doing something worthwhile and, and valuable. I think sometimes I slip into a, a habit of if I'm not doing something purposeful, I, I'm sort of just meandering, collecting experiences. So stopping and doing yeah. something is really something that I try and do regularly. So I worked for this uh, nonprofit called the Fountain Youth Initiative. And they um, are in this, it's, it's like a slum off of, off of Nairobi. So it's like a really poor and underdeveloped area. And this organization basically teaches computing classes and goes uh, into schools and supplies, school supplies and stuff like that. And I was working like building and developing their website and teaching the computer classes. And part of their, part of their role is like handing out sanitary products in, mm-hmm. in schools and things. It was just another time where I, I felt like really a part of something. I lived with the the owner of that um, nonprofit and I stayed with his family in in this place called Githarai. Again, like all those all those boxes ticked for me, doing something valuable. I felt very much a part of his family. I felt really, really welcomed. There was a couple of other volunteers there that that I really connected with that have become kind of close friends. And I was somewhere entirely, entirely different to anywhere I'd experienced before. It was an exercise in learning about kindness and compassion. It was an exercise Mm -hmm. in, you know, being utterly exposed to something. You know, I have a, um, I had some conception of of what Asia would be like, uh, had some conception of, of what South America and Australia and all these places would be like, but yeah. I, I really wasn't prepared for the reality and the actuality of, of somewhere like this slum in, in Kenya. So it, it completely broadened my mind in, in a real way. So the workaway 
was part of your trip or was that all of your trip in Kenya? Just part of it. Yeah. It just part of it. It was, I spent a, a little while at that work away. And then, and then from there, I went off to do like a safari in the Maasai Mara and then traveled all south through Kenya and then into Uganda. So it was just, it was just a part of the trip. By the way, the, the safari in the Maasai Mara was like one of the most spectacular things I've ever seen. Yeah. I was then going to ask, obviously we all know safari about what you can see, but logistics of booking that or getting involved in that how how did you find out how to book that safari was it through someone you met or was that online yeah how did you yeah that was booked by the uh the owner of that non-profit that I was working for so yeah, yeah he he did all of that for us and is it expensive it is quite expensive I yeah. think it was less expensive for having him book yeah. it mm-hmm. but it was it was pricey I also went on that safari during the wildebeest migration Oh, wow. So there's like, I imagine maybe there's a premium cost for going at that time of year, but it's it's absolutely wild <laughs> to see the movement of these wildebeest and, and zebra from, they go from Tanzania and into, into Kenya. And it's just horde of, of these animals, like all moving as one, like you can see like a tunnel, this winding direction from a distance, this movement, it's like life incarnate. Like I've never seen, I've never seen so many like <laughs> mammals move like that. It was absolutely crazy. Almost like a, a flock of birds, but on the wow. ground, you know, like in terms of their mass. That's gotta be such an awesome feeling seeing that absolutely crazy yeah absolutely crazy and unmatched to this day totally unique yeah yeah absolutely. where else can you see that there's so many good reasons to to go and, and travel in africa and the wildlife is is one of them i mean what an what an absolutely incredible continent to see to see such varied and and so many like actually done a great job of preserving some spaces and mm. and, and land for in, w- in which those animals are protected so i mean we hear a lot about poaching and all that stuff um but there are areas where people make real conceited efforts to to protect those yeah. animals but then it's a beautiful place to see a lot of wildlife a question about the safari how does it actually work do you like stay at camp and then you go out each day like how does the day-to-day work and how long was the actual safari yeah so it's not something that you can just do kind of on or at least it wasn't when I was there and at that time just something that you can do kind of self-directedly so it is very much like a three-day experience yeah. through a company I got picked up at the place I was staying in Githurai and then um, or maybe we traveled into Nairobi and and then a, a group of people to the to the Masai Mara and then in a kind of a, a cabin off the mm-hmm. off the protected site and then you'd be driven in by via jeep on the on the day it was a three-day experience and three different safari kind of sites so wow one you know you see the big five animals that are there and then yeah. another day kind of to uh to an area where there's a lot of flamingos and then rothschild giraffes a protected type of giraffe that exists okay. in other areas so yeah varied and um three a three-day experience Fantastic. And what is, I know Africa is a huge place and let's not base Africa to some Kenya, but in your experience of Kenya, what was it like just to travel? You know, like this is a, a real unknown area for me because I've never been to Africa, but traveling city to city or going to places, is it tough? Is there buses? Is there trains? Like, Is there jeeps? What's the logistics like? Is it easy? 
yeah, I would I would say that if Southeast Asia is the backpackers' training ground, yeah, Africa is the antithesis to that in some <laughs> sense. Like, okay, um, it can be a challenge. Everything's everything's by via bus or matatu, right? These yeah. sometimes these very large kind of decorated vehicles. And I'll say this though, it can be logistically complicated. But if you trust the process, mm-hmm. you know, like. then it's it's cheap and it's safe like a a lot of travel i think is an exercise in just you know if you make it clear where you want to go trust trust in people like often you'll just it will be fine you might be kind of sat there at the back of the bus wondering like am i really going in the right direction (laughs) oftentimes you are like people people do want to help you and people you know if you pay them the money that they they ask for to, to go to the place that you want to go, that they do have a prerogative to get you there. So I remember thinking a lot of times, I kind of go to, to a kind of a pseudo bus station and sort yeah. of say, hey, this is where I want to go. And then I'd just be sort of sat down somewhere <laughs> and told to wait. And then, you know, <laughs> things just start happening. You know, I'm not quite, <laughs> quite, quite sure why or how, but eventually I'd end up where I wanted to be it was a perplexing experience for a lot of the time but um oh god some of some of my most prized memories of my life take place on that continent you know yeah I traveled from from Kenya then then south just overland into Uganda and then Rwanda and Tanzania and and onwards all the way down to to South Africa and I, I really just it's a treasured time I think that it's it's one of those things it's the continent that people maybe get the most intimidated by in terms of well by a lot of factors but my god is it worth it some of the most beautiful people I've ever met some of the 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 most kind people I've ever met traveling and and also just one of the most stunning continents like the beauty of that continent unrivaled unrivaled yeah and when you traveled to those other countries was that overland yeah so typically when I'm traveling I I fly into one place yeah and then travel via kind of like cardinal direction to the other end of the continent I've done that kind of in Asia and in Africa and in South America the only time I will make an exception is if I need to fly over the absence of a visa so like I flew over Sudan because I couldn't get a visa and then you know okay so it, it depends sometimes, but usually I'm just going overland buses, trains. Yeah. And then border crossings, of course, they have their own stories as well. My passport looks like a child's colouring book. Like it's got, <laughs> <laughs> it's insane. And the, the amount of time it takes for me to cross a border these days, whilst kind of a very stern looking border security guard flips through the passport thinking like, what is this? Like, yeah, they must hate find it. Women. <laughs> they hate it. Yeah, I'm, I'm despised at all border entries across the world. But it's, um, it's, it's a beautiful passport. It's all worn. Like there's nothing on the front cover anymore. You flip through it and it's kind of like, yeah, the stickers and stamps all throughout it okay that leads me on to nicely to the next bit uh, before we get to your podcast it's just like some backpacking tips and advice so i've got um, some quick subsections of those you mm-hmm. kind of mentioned already about overland travel so you are pretty much exclusively as you said fly in and then you overland to i guess your last place and then you fly out yeah like any sort of tips that you kind of mentioned already but getting buses and trains in certain areas of the world it can be slightly stressful but any tips with how you do that because for example my example would be in asia you book a bus but you could be sat there for two hours you just don't know what's going on and eventually you do go and sometimes you get your seat sometimes you don't so is there any tips you could give 
Yeah, 100%. So I think the thing that I was most grateful for throughout my whole journey was that I committed to having a carry-on bag only from the start. Yeah. And I think like a, a lot of those journeys you're talking about, a lot of those those bus rides and and <laughs> they'd have been so difficult if I had a different bag. So my, my bag's just 45 litres and that okay. opens you up to being able to just get on any bus, get on a motorbike taxi, get on, you know, in some of these buses, sometimes they're just vans, right? And you'll be yeah. sat next to someone who has, you know, has livestock or something <laughs> sometimes, you know? So like have, being small is really valuable when it comes to those things. There's times where I just think I'd have been refused to get onto one of those Minotatus or something if I had a larger bag. So having the confidence to have everything I own with me and sat just on my lap it opens up so many doors so I did a little bit of research before I went and got my gear right and a carry-on bag is kind of like the start of that I think that's really important the second thing would be just to trust the process Mm -hmm. it's really easy when you're traveling to make one of two mistakes either thinking you're safe when you're not and thinking and um, thinking you're in danger when you're not right (laughs) like I think I think both of those kind of things we, we have a propensity to. And when I first started, I thought everything was dangerous. Yeah. And 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 it's not. Like almost all the time you're fine. If you're like sat at a bus stop panicking that you're not gonna get where you're going, like as long as you're proactive and sensible, like everything is gonna be fine. The processes are just different to, mm. to what you've got at home. And that goes to every aspect of travel. Like humanity is generally beautiful to each other. Like most <laughs> of the time, the bad and terrible things that you, you you hear about, they're obviously a real thing. And it's so important to stay safe as a traveler. But, but most most of the time, it's just, it's going to be okay. Have faith. Okay, that's great. And what about accommodation and people? So do you prioritize either workaways and or hostels? Is that your vibe? Yeah, so I'm, I'm always in hostels. I think they're the the best place to be basically you know Mm -hmm. i think that's where you meet all the best travelers and that's where you make the connections and i think i've stayed in a in a bunk bed more often than a than a regular bed for all of my adult life and then yeah but workaways as well and then i just couldn't do what i do without that platform so you meet people who are burnt out on travel yeah and the first thing I'll ask them is just like, well, did you just stop and do something like for a little bit? Maybe mm. that would help. Like I'll be in a hostel and someone's been traveling for six months and they're like, you know, I just, I'm sick of moving from place to place and checking out and getting on a bus and moving to a new place and all this stuff. Well, just like, just stop for a yeah, little while. Stay somewhere. Like, yeah, geez. Like it's, it's fine. Travel doesn't have to be literally the physical acts of moving constantly. Mm. Like, yeah, it's true. It can, so true. It can be something so, so different to that. So I will always stop for like a month, you know? Yeah. And, and and just recalibrate and reassess. And then when I feel ready to move again, I'll move again. And maybe I'll move around every couple of days for a couple of weeks and then stop again for a little while. And like I've said before, all my favorite travel experiences probably have come from the times where I have stopped nice that's a good tip that and meeting people I think there's probably a few people who are probably a bit shy or introverted um especially going to somewhere like a hostel where there's a lot of people so is there any like tidbits you'd give to say like you know try and put yourself out there or 
Like any advice to maybe get people to meet other people? Yeah. So I think one thing to bear in mind is that because you're shy and introverted, like everyone is sometimes, mm. there's going to be people who aren't and maybe they'll, they'll kind of go to you. So I think there's, there's people like, and even that can be intimidating. I totally understand that. But my recommendation would be just to be open to experience, regardless of your introversion, just be open to meeting other people. And then those meetings will happen in a natural and organic way. I think that you're all there for the, for the common aim of sharing experiences and seeing some of the world. So regardless of your kind of social predispositions, like you at least have that in common. So people will seek you out and find you, I, I think, and and you'll make connections really naturally. That said, there are a bunch of things you can do that make that easier. One of my favorite things to do when I'm in a new city is like go on a walking tour. Like oh, yeah. There's walking tours in almost every city. Mm. And if you go on a walking tour, like that's a scenario where you're with 10 to 15 other people who have also just arrived in that city mm. and you're like walking around you're listening to a guide talk about places but then you're walking to the next place and there's kind of like two to three minutes where you can have a chat as you're doing that it's just a really natural vibe and a great place just to strike up a conversation with some fellow travelers who have just arrived i'll actually say like it's my go-to move whenever i arrive in a new city and i'm in a hostel if, if i've not met someone like the first day in that hostel I'll always go on a walking tour and I don't think I've ever walked away from a walking tour without like agreeing to hang out or like continue our adventure together like I think I always meet someone on those things that's brilliant and that kind of leads me on to traveling solo or do you travel in groups like how do you normally travel pretty much always solo but I can count on one hand the number of weeks I've ever spent alone (laughs) (laughs) that's that's just part of the nature of travel right like uh, I'm always on my own in the sense that you know I've never booked a flight with someone really bar Mm -hmm. a couple of times but groups form so quickly and so naturally I mean it's almost inevitability that you'll be moving around with other people unless you're like (laughs) traveling during a super off season in a really remote place like (laughs) you will connect with someone sleeping in the bed next to you like or, or the or the bunk bed above you or whatever it's like you you're a bunch of travelers who are living in the same accommodation you are going to go for dinner together it's just going to happen yeah i went to greece in the december to Carpathos island no one there apart from locals um mm-hmm. that weird feeling when when you walk through town they know who you are because you're the only tourist um yeah, so you, speak, right. so you start to speak to locals and they're they're absolutely fine they're, they maybe laugh but they couldn't quite understand why i was there was that an experience you liked or did you wish there was other travellers there? No, no, I liked it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I enjoyed it. I had a little local calf that was near my accommodation. So they'd be my locals that I'd first get to know, if you like. And then when they start to see you just walk around the same streets, they kind of like say hello to you, really. It's quite cool. Yeah, well, I guess that's an important point that you make. Like, it's it's lovely hanging out with other travellers, but it is also really cool to get to know the people that actually live there. I, yeah. I don't want to paint the image of travellers like this kind of separate community that, that isn't interested in like integrating <laughs> or learning about the locals, because I think that's also really important. It can be harder to meet local people. Uh, that's why Workaway is so good. True. And also it depends on language as well, right? Um, of course, yeah. I didn't know any Greek because it's fucking hard language. <laughs> so at least they knew English. Right. Well, yeah. Well, that's another thing. People who are concerned about the languages, 
there's a lot of English spoken in the world, like honestly. And Google Translate's a thing, like uh, it yeah, works yeah. really well. Do you also learn a few lang- uh, a few sentences in the language before you go somewhere? Is that part of your pre- preparation, if you like? So a little mention to Adam, who I do the podcast with. He's much better at that sort of thing. Yeah. I um, <laughs> I try. I try my best. <laughs> yeah. I at least try and learn what's necessary to be cordial, you know? So I'll learn thank you. I'll learn please. I'll learn hello. The, the, the truth is, like, it depends how fast you're moving. In Southeast Asia, I was moving to a different country. Like, a month was, like, the longest I was spending in a place. So yeah, I mean, yeah. how much are you going to... I didn't learn much of a language in such a short space of time. But then in South America, I was, you know, Spanish speaking for the whole year I was there. So obviously I picked up more of that. Yeah, you got to, I think, in South America. I've got no choice. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's something that I think it's worthwhile to make an effort to do. Like, at least please, thank you, hello. I have a reservation for one night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. Okay. Uh, I was going to ask, do you work whilst you travel? You know, I'm not talking about work away here. I'm talking about actually earning money um currently do you work on the road do you have a laptop like or is it totally just travel at the minute the 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 thing that i'm doing whilst on the road now is is the podcast is tropology mm-hmm. but what i do to earn some money is like teach guitar teach ukulele okay via zoom no not via zoom but oh. like if i'm in a place long enough and it's english speaking i like advertise lessons or like go online and find people so like I'm, we're talking more here like when i'm traveling around countries like new zealand i even yeah. like toured a workshop um in in new zealand like so as i was traveling down south from the north island to the south island i like stopped off at a load of different community colleges and clubs and, and taught kind of uh for cash and that's good because you can get cost neutral very quickly kind of the yep. money you make you can pay so that's an example of a time I, I would use a a skill to make some cash whilst traveling but in terms of like remote work that's a very different community of travelers like the digital nomads yeah i'm envious of it to to some extent and um it sounds like a really cool way to to make traveling more sustainable and I think that uh, podcasting is a great a, a great way to to kind of get the message of travel out there and kind of use your laptop to to reach that audience. Yeah, can we go in that little direction now? Because we had a little chat last week um, that you've noticed a difference when in hostels recently about mm. this new type of traveller where it's not necessarily just a like the old school get a job, save money, go, and that's it. These are people now that are maybe doing two or three days a week traveling and then working the rest on the laptop. Like, is there longer term vibe now is that what you say yeah i i think that like this whole idea of like long-term nomad like travel as a way of life is becoming something that we see more often like people who who have to work to travel but they take that work on the road obviously mm-hmm. we're, we're seeing this whole new type of work emerge with like uh, post pandemic right we have work from home and remote work so for a lot of people it becomes way more viable to do the same jobs that they were doing before but now like it's an internet connection instead of an office and and it becomes really sustainable so there's going to be a lot of people here who have an advantage over me in the field of long-term travel in that they can maintain and keep their jobs whilst traveling I think you'll end up seeing people with these crazy numbers, like they've been on the road for eight yeah. years and they're just working and traveling and going and and, and it's no problem for them. God, it's always a dream, isn't it? That's what I'm trying to work out now is what can I do alongside the podcast, of course, 
and my YouTube channel, like what can I do to prolong it where I don't have to get the traditional location dependent job? That's the big, big question. There's so much time spent kind of, as much as I've loved my working holiday visas, they're like, it's a long time to, to stop. Yeah. So to to find a, a a way of of saving that money whilst you're kind of traveling, it is a different experience, though. I'll say, James, because like l- let's say you meet someone in a hostel who who wants to go off and shoot in a direction, like the fact that you have to work will change that experience. Yes. So I suppose the real dream is being able to pick when you work. Yeah. Or yeah, yeah. or you know, I'm envious of the people most who have like lucrative travel blogs or podcasts and yeah, says exactly that, that they can yeah. Yeah, they can post when they want. They have a community that they're building around them, and it really is self-directed. It, that's the real future of these like long-term nomadic travelers is finding a way that that they can kind of share their experience to build a, a community. I think that building a community of long-term travelers is something that really is an important thing that we should do. Yeah, we're going to come to that in the podcast section actually because we talked again about that last week. Yeah, you're Absolutely. right. If you if you do your own thing, that's the dream. That's the ultimate dream. Working with someone else on the road, you're going to still be bound to time and, like I say, getting stuff done. But I think the ultimate dream is being your own boss. And if that makes money on a laptop in any location in the world, that has to be the ultimate goal. 100%. And just cost neutrality, right, is is all you yeah. need. The thing that was so cool about music lessons is that I could arrive in a city in Australia or New Zealand and just teach an hour lesson for cash and that would like be my money for that day kind of thing you know yes whereas in in a traditional job you kind of wait a week for your wage or you wait a month for your wage and then you've got that month to spend that money you have to be saving up more money while you're doing that it all runs out so it's like (laughs) there's a perpetual treadmill but like cash jobs they're they're really useful (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah. i do travel with a ukulele quite often oh yeah yeah. Um, and that is nice. You know, a lot of people learning ukulele right now, but Zoom, I think I'm sure Zoom lessons are even more of a thing now post pandemic. Not something I've ever tried though. No. <laughs> okay. To finish this section, I've got one question here, but I'm going to leave it right at the end. That's going to be the last question I ask the whole podcast episode. And it's a cool question. But for this section, just maybe was there any like big lessons that you learned the last 10 years that? really stick out in your mind like one or two Uh, it could be anything about how you traveled the logistics meeting people just anything that could really help someone yeah I think that maybe the biggest thing I learned was to to do whatever creates the most happiness and joy Mm. I think that I was living a life that wasn't necessarily governed or directed by the value of joy and traveling taught me that like as long as you're leaving every space a little bit better than you found it or leaving someone's life a little bit better than before you were in it, like that's how you measure that you're on the right path. And I used to spend so much time worrying about whether I was living extraordinarily or oh, like yeah. making a making a difference or all that stuff. But really, it all boils down to, to kindness and, and happiness. So... I started out traveling as a selfish experiment in like, I'm going to do what makes me happy for a little while. Mm. I'm just going to go and do what makes me happy and, you know, screw everything else. It's just going to be, it's going to be for me. It's going to be this gift to myself. I'm going to go traveling. But what you learn quickly is that 
by doing what makes you happy, I mean, that's just going to make the world a better place. You're going to do things for other people that make them happy. I think really think that happiness is this infectious thing that you can you can spread and that travel gives you opportunity to do that. It puts you in the way of so many different things and places and people. So I really just think pursue kindness and pursue happiness. Nice. Okay, that's fantastic. So we're going to drop in to the section about your podcast that you and Adam have created and are currently doing. So it's called the Tripology Podcast. So first of all, can you tell us how you and Adam met and then why did you start this podcast and what's your intentions? Yeah, so Adam, God bless him. I was uh, I was living in an RV on my parents' property in the during the pandemic, figuring out how to get to Canada because I had a Canadian visa, but there was yeah. no way of going to Canada without a job. So I messaged a farm in rural BC and said, like, hey, please, can you guys give me a job offer? I need to come to Canada. I've got a work visa. And who replied to me but the absolutely glorious person of Adam? And he um, he basically said, yeah, come. I'm working at this farm. I'm from the UK, too. I yeah. got a job offer here. I need to find my successor. Come to the farm. So. <laughs> That was, I mean, that was basically it. Like he uh, picked me up from the airport. The very first night I was there, we stayed up late into the night talking about travel mm-hmm. and sort of um, just formed this real beautiful connection that centered around the idea that travel was everything to us. And the whole time we were talking, I was thinking, well, this could be a podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I, I, we later talked about that and I pitched him on the idea and he was on board. And it's just become the single most important friendship of my life in a, in a lot of ways. He's a great person and I wanted to, to share him with the world. So Tropology was born. And what do you intend to share with the podcast to help listeners? It's about community building for me. Like mm-hmm. we want to build this community of people that see potential and possibility in the idea of long-term travel. So we want to kind of galvanize that community around the podcast. And we want to hear from people all over the world who have questions about backpacking and, uh, you know, help them to realize their potential and dream of, of going traveling for a long time. So it's a podcast where we share backpacking tips and stories from the, from the road, but also where we answer any questions and talk to the community and sort of help people figure out how to quit mundanity and get out there. Yeah, and we talked about this last week where I just don't think there's any podcast out there doing it. Um, I tried to do it with my sort of, I'm a backpacker vibe. I like to have that, but sometimes not. Sometimes there's, there's caveats to that with our guests, but mostly trying to get that budget you know, quit your job, go and see something else out there that's new and different that will enhance your life. And it, when you come along and said, that's what you want to do, and it's like, that was your idea, I was like, oh, wow, there's actually someone else <laughs> um, in yeah. the podcasting sector, you know, trying to do that. I think too often travel is depicted as this, like, beautiful, yes. serene, like, look at this landscape, amazing kind of thing. But like oftentimes travel is like dirty and <laughs> gritty and uncomfortable and you haven't slept in a couple of nights. And it's this like crazy, somewhat anarchic, countercultural thing. And I think there's a, a subsection of people who not only want to go on that trip and have a you know sip of a margarita on a beach, but want to get 
down and dirty with the concept of sticking at it for a long period of time, mm. living out of a carry-on bag and, and booking a one-way trip to a, to a place and just continuing the adventure. And that community, that's a special thing. That's a community yeah, that yeah. you belong to and I belong to and Adam belongs to. And there's a bunch of people that, you know, that's what they're about. And I just think we should form a great big group around the proverbial internet campfire and talk about that a little bit, you know? Absolutely. Could not agree more. Like my secret dream, if you like, is to create that travel community production podcasting. I don't know what you call it. I guess it's just a community where it's a collection of people talking about this sort of stuff. And there could be like different factions of that. And we all are connected around the world, but like via this internet and we can all connect with listeners and they can come on or come in and I don't know, whatever it is that's just trying to collate that group of people because it's a very unique sector of society which i found in the podcasting world is not represented too much there's a few travel podcasts out there but it's not a huge section within podcasts is it it's never it's never a top of the categories that you find on spotify or apple podcasts it's really sort of hidden deep down into yeah, like places absolutely. in society which 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 almost is where we are in in real life I yeah it was just strange isn't like, it yeah hidden deep down but yeah. I basically want to create the digital version of what happened to me in Vietnam by meeting that long-term traveler, you know? Yeah, love like, that. Yeah. If I'd have had a community that in my Googling of like what shoes to wear, what bag to take and, and how to get a cheap flight, if I'd come across something like Winging It Travel Podcast, something like Tropology Podcast, something like the community that you're describing, where I could be like, oh, okay, this isn't just six months in Southeast Asia. This is a portal to this completely different lifestyle that's sustainable and long-term. Mm. Like, you know, it, I, I just didn't see that, right? So it took me serendipitously stumbling across someone who knew that was a possibility to know that I could do it. So why not create a digital space where, you know, we can guide you, me and Adam and you, we can say to people, hey, if you're at an office and you're thinking about going on a trip just know that it's possible to do it for yeah. far longer than you think and we can help like we can tell you all those little tricks that allowed us to do it and that's basically sums up my reason for doing the podcast and what's there for is for those people who are just sitting there going almost like dreaming of doing that big trip or at least changing their lifestyle to give that a go that is the whole reason that i bring people on like yourself to come on and talk about their experiences and kind of give a bit of advice and a bit of encouragement to say, Hey, you can do this and it's okay. That's the yeah, whole well, it's something we should do periodically as well. Like it'd be cool to touch bases and, and kind of figure out how we can grow this community. Like, I think that we should all, um, you know, we're all in the same boat, so we should always stay in touch. Everyone, you know, people can write to each other and talk to each other and come on podcasts and discuss this sort of thing. It's a conversation that needs to be ongoing. Yeah agree with that and then i want to ask also very quickly do you just do episodes between yourselves or do you have guests that come on like what's the vibe in terms of that so i mean right now it's me and adam talking sharing backpacking trips taking emails from listeners i'm gonna head on the road uh, in the in the very near future right i'm going to north africa next week or the week after that mm -hmm. and then heading to south america for a little bit to do some more wildlife stuff so undoubtedly we'll be bringing people on the podcast people i meet 
from hostels, people I meet from different working projects, and they can come on uh, as well. I think part of the cool experience that Tropology is going to go on is right now me and Adam are having these conversations. Adam is in Canada. I can't yeah. wait for the moment where, you know, I'm in Belize and have someone on the podcast with me and we both ring up Adam and just talk to him about stuff. <laughs> I think it's going to be great. Adam's living kind of vicariously through these travel experiences with the podcast. You know, right now, he's an incredibly experienced traveler with a wealth of experiences and he's far more of an expert on certain types of travel than anyone else I've ever met but right now he's in Canada so I, I love the fact <laughs> that we can ring him up from all different places and, and share our experiences with him that sounds great can't wait to see those episodes that'd be awesome okay yeah and do you have website or is it just social media and obviously the podcast platforms like where can people find you yeah, so it's Tropology Podcast. You know, it's on anchor.com forward slash Tropology Podcast. It's also on Spotify, Tropology Podcast, and on all social media at Tropology Podcast. Fantastic. And I'll put links in the show notes. Thank so you so can, much. Uh, click very quickly to find you. It's been a great chat. So I'm going to finish with some quick fire travel questions. These are normally your favorite things that you've experienced when you're traveling. Uh, okay try to kind of shake them up a little bit not do the same ones every week okay. Um, okay so the first question i'm going to ask you is hey yeah just a quick one i just want to say there are many ways to support this podcast you can buy me a coffee and help support the podcast with five dollars or you can go to my merch store with the affiliate link with t public where there's plenty of merch available to buy such as t-shirts jumpers hoodies and also some children's clothing thirdly which is free you can also rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser, or Good Pods. Also, you can find me on social media on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. Simply just search for Winging It Travel Podcast, and you'll find me displaying all my social media content for traveling, podcasts, and other stuff. Thank you. It's travel question time. How many countries have you traveled to? Oh, mid 50s, 56, I think. Fantastic. And out of those 56, three countries that are your favorites? Argentina, Israel, Kenya. Fantastic. And three countries that you've not traveled to that's on your hit list? Belize, Morocco, India. Okay. Three countries' cuisines or foods that are your favourites? Japanese, Vietnamese, <laughs> and Thai. If you could pick one city in the world to drink a coffee and watch the world go by, which city would you drink it in? Buenos Aires. Oh, great answer. Okay, and do you have a country's favourite coffee? Is there a taste of coffee that you like the most? Oh, um... Does everyone answer Colombia? I'm going Almost, to say, yeah. for that reason, I'm going to say Egypt. Oh, love it. Rogue. Yeah, it's either Colombia <laughs> or Italy. They're normally the very popular answers on that one. Yeah. I guess <laughs> okay. I, it's a very different style of coffee in Egypt, but it's strong and it's bitter. And that's what I like. So Yeah, that's what we like. Yeah, I love that too. Okay. What about a favorite walk or trek? Oh, it's got to be a hike to Fitzroy, Mount Fitzroy in Patagonia. Uh, the most beautiful walk I've ever been on. 
Okay. If you could pick one country in the world to live in for a year that you've not lived in before, where are you going to live? Antarctica. It's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think if it's if it's a wishing well where I can go anywhere, that's the hardest place to get to, and I'll cop the year in the cold in order to get there. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. What about a favourite beach that you've been to? Favourite beach. There was a beach on the eastern edge of Zanzibar like as far away from Stone Town as you can go I don't know the name of it I'm not even sure if it's named it was the single most beautiful beach I've ever experienced in my life so if you uh ever get to Zanzibar rent a car and just circumnavigate the island and see if you can find it somewhere on the eastern edge and it's absolutely beautiful okay three favorite cities you've seen on your travels Hanoi Mm -hmm. uh Buenos Aires Melbourne Oh, great place. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Favourite party place? Oh, favourite party place. You know what? I think one of the greatest nights of my life was with my buddy in... He, he, lives, he lives in Brazil. He's from, um, he's yeah. from uh, Santos. So he, um, that was one of my favourite nights out ever. So I'm going to say there. Fantastic. Okay. What about a favourite landmark? Can be nature or man-made? King's Valley in Egypt. I flew over in a hot air balloon. It was absolutely amazing. Oh, dream. Okay. Favorite high adrenaline activity that you've experienced on your travels? High adrenaline. I uh I bungee jumped off of what was previously the, the highest ever bungee jump in the world until 2017. It was in uh South Africa. It was amazing. Okay. Do you have a random question? A favorite lake? Laguna Negra it's like uh again Patagonia it was that mm -hmm. an awesome hike and it was the the site of uh where I hiked with that group of people on Christmas nice okay and the country has been the best value for your money for budgeting purposes I once was a month in Vietnam and spent less than 100 pounds so there <laughs> okay and my final question for this section is going to be in a few sentences what is the purpose of travel and slash do you have a travel philosophy yeah i think that what i said about kindness is is that a little bit so i think for me the purpose of travel is multifaceted and wide-reaching but it's like it's an embodiment of life itself so the purpose of travel is to live is to experience and uh my philosophy yeah do whatever creates the most happiness unless Doing something that makes you miserable in the short term makes you even happier in the long run, like working in a potato factory for three months. <laughs> okay, Alan, thanks for coming on to the podcast. It's actually been one of my favourite chats. I'm not going to lie about that because I feel like we have a similar outlook on travel and on life and also similar experiences with certain countries that we travel to. So I kind of feel like I've almost spoken to like a travel brother, if you like. So thanks for coming on and I really appreciate you making time. Amazing. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you and I'm excited about all the trips that you're going to take in the future, all the trips that I'm going to take. I'm excited about talking uh, to them, talking about them with you. And thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I really appreciate it. No, thank you. See ya. See you. Thank you for listening to my Winging It Travel podcast episode today. You can find me on Instagram at James Hammond Travel or Winging It Travel podcast. You can search for both. I release weekly clips of this podcast episode, as well as photos from the last eight to 10 years of my travels. 
You can also follow me on TikTok, Facebook and Pinterest by searching Winging It Travel Podcast. I do release daily content to do with travel and the podcast throughout the week. Also check out my website, jameshammond.org. There's content about myself, my travels, and there's also a newsletter sign up as well as a contact form. Finally, please rate and review the podcast on Podchaser. This is my platform of choice. Alternatively, you can rate this on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts from. This really helps the podcast gain a bit of traction for the future in terms of guests and content. And I'm glad to see that you guys are listening out there, reviewing it and enjoying the content so far. Stay safe, stay humble, keep listening, keep traveling, and I'll catch you soon. Cheers, James.